This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me today uh, to discuss the employer tax exclusion is Dr. Joe Antos, Wilson H. Taylor Scholar in Healthcare and Retirement Policy at the American Enterprise Institute here in D.C. Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Uh, Dr. Antos's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, excluding employer paid health care insurance from taxable income dates back to World War II era wage and price controls. These controls were evaded or mitigated by providing more generous employee benefits. Monies used to pay for these benefits became codified as untaxed. In real terms, this means a dollar of health care insurance costs substantially less than a dollar of other goods purchased with after-tax wages. Today, since 56% of, of the non-Medicare population receive their health care insurance through work, this untaxed corporate income constitutes the third largest federal government expenditure on health care, or over $250 billion annually. There are as well billions of dollars in avoided state taxes. Few would argue today this policy is either unsustainable and or incoherent. Among other negative effects beyond lost tax revenues, the tax policy is highly regressive. It comes at the cost of lower or stagnant cash wages. It contributes to excessive health care cost growth, reduces insurance company competition, and sends over-insurance or so-called Cadillac health care plans, and sends over-utilization, limits job mobility or creates job lock, and perverts retirement decision-making. There are two is no comparable deduction for health insurance purchased by individuals or individually. With me to discuss what can be done about reforming the tax exclusion is, again, Dr. Joe Antos. So with that uh, somewhat lengthy uh, introduction, Joe, let's start with the association between the tax exclusion and coverage. The tax exclusion is often termed or thought of as the glue that holds together our existing system of employer-sponsored health insurance. So my question is, how true is this, or how sensitive are employers to the exclusions tax price? Uh, it's absolutely true. Uh, uh, this year, we're going to spend about $250 billion in uh, tax benefits because of the tax exclusion, and uh, that constitutes a very, very substantial uh, incentive for people to buy insurance through their employer rather than uh, on the individual market. Uh, so uh, it's not just employers who are sensitive to it. It's, it's obviously employees as well. Um, and, and so as a result, what we've seen uh, that, that's really developed since the 1950s uh, is a, a system that is heavily reliant on employers um, essentially simplifying the choices that people make. And because of the tax exclusion, because of the essentially the discount for health insurance, that has also driven 
health benefits uh, to be much richer in employer uh, coverage than uh, than is typical with uh, individual coverage. So, yeah, indeed, uh, you know, money talks, uh, and it's really not at all surprising with this kind of money at stake uh, that that's what's really driving or holding together the employer-based uh, health insurance system that we see today. So you seemingly answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway, and that is if the exclusion was capped or phased out, what effect would it have on coverage? Would employers uniformly stop offering their employees health care coverage? You're suggesting that that is the case, or it is the case to a substantial extent. Is that is that true? No, not at all. No. Not at all. Okay. Uh, there, there are very good reasons why uh, an employer would offer uh, coverage uh, to their employees, even if they weren't a tax break. Okay. Uh, remember that, that employees want health benefits, and so this is this would be this is an important part of compensation, uh, and this is something that, as I say, it, it simplifies people's choices. I think what we've seen with the Affordable Care Act is what anybody really knows if they think about it, which is that that buying health insurance is a pretty complicated matter. Uh, so, so whether they do a good job of this or not, uh, em- employers do simplify the choices and do tend to direct their employees to certain kinds of certain kinds of health plans. Um, as I say, it's not clear that that's uh, those are really good choices uh, for every employee in the firm, but but nonetheless, it simplifies it, and people uh, value that a great deal. So, so in fact, I think certainly the larger employers would continue to offer coverage. Uh, small employers, well, small employers, uh, very small employers typically don't offer coverage now anyway, and the reason for that is that. Uh, this is part of employee compensation. It's, it's not a gift. It does not somehow grow in the forest and you go out there and pick it. It's free. Uh, it costs money. And so, uh, with typically a small employer, uh, the big issue is wages. Uh, can we get the wages up as high as we can? And that means, uh, inevitably less benefits, less retirement benefits and less health, health benefits. Okay, thank you. You you made the point or suggested the point that buying insurance is not a very information transparent process. Uh, we won't go down that road, but that's that's a, a good point. And then also, let's just be clear that employers enjoy tax benefit, but so do employees relative to the premium co-pays that they have relative to their own tax burden. So let's go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's that's right. But you know, let, let me let me correct something here. The the employer actually doesn't get a tax break out of this. A lot of people misunderstand this. The the all of the tax break really accrues to the individual employee. Uh, what the employer gets is the ability to uh, treat whatever contributions they make for health insurance as. Uh, as a business expense. It's the same business expense that wages are. It's the same business expense as, uh, you know, an employer's, uh, purchasing of raw materials to go into the, into some product that they're making. So, so in, in fact, where the benefit 
lies 100% is with the employee uh, in, in terms of lower income taxes, in terms of lower payroll taxes. Y yes, thank you. And um, just to say further, the, and this is why we see uh, employers moving a lot of their compensation or increasing um, the total compensation or part of the total compensation to the benefit side than the wages side because, of course, that compensation to the benefit side goes uh, is is pre-tax or untaxed dollars. Correct. Uh, that's that's right for for, for health. Uh, but most most other benefits that people think of, um, uh, there is there's no special tax break. Health is health is the Unique. last one. Yes. Okay. Uh, Let, yeah. Let's let's go to where we can go from here. So, uh, assuming uh, among other reasons. Uh, and I phrase it as the nation's balance sheet, uh, can no longer afford this tax exclusion, uh, how can or should the policy uh, be reformed? And there, are, let me break that question down into a few uh, component parts. I did mention in the opening there is this Cadillac tax. Um, you've written about this. Um, basically defined, this is a policy that was in the Affordable Care Act um, that attempts to address this uh, exemption problem. It's a provision that imposes a 40% excise tax on every dollar in coverage above a certain amount. And in fact, when the CBO scored this, it was a good deal of money, close to $90 billion uh, over the 10-year budget window. However, last year, Congress delayed. This tax was supposed to begin uh, this year, or in 18, and it was delayed now till 2020. Uh, in your writings, I read in an article you wrote in Forbes in April, you expressed opposition to the Cadillac tax. So my question is, um, is your opposition in principle or relative to how they actually drafted this tax? Right. It's, it's the way they did it. It's, it's not the idea, at least not the main idea. Uh, my, uh, my view of this is that the Cadillac tax really was trying to um, – uh, reduce the uh, the uh, tax benefits of employer-sponsored health insurance, uh, and uh, but they did it the wrong way completely by applying a tax rather than by uh, making some adjustment in the exclusion. Uh, they basically, make insurance more expensive. That's because people have to pay the tax. Mm -hmm. And that tax has to be paid by everybody who buys the insurance in the firm. Uh, that tax is paid, of course, by the CEO, but it's also paid by the janitor. So it's a very regressive mm -hmm. kind of a, a policy uh, and not very efficient. Uh, it doesn't get at the real problem. The real problem is that the exclusion is unlimited, uh, <laughs> and it encourages people to buy insurance that is uh, has a very low cost-sharing requirements, uh, that has very generous benefits, and that it, that promotes the use of healthcare services, not just the services you absolutely need, but also the services that may not be so useful to you. And that's, that's it's really a major source for promoting inefficiency in healthcare delivery, and we, we need more efficiency if we expect to go down the road and be able to have everybody insured uh, and uh, be able to cover the cost. Yes, so uh, this is the overutilization, which also has the uh, unintended negative of, of potentially harming uh, patients from uh, more health care. Uh, having asked that question first, 
let's go to specific uh, getting at the, the heart of the issue, which you said is, is, is the exclusion itself, not tr- trying to impose this Cadillac tax. So the question is, how best should we cap or phase out, or how best can uh, phasing or capping out the exclusion be accomplished? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So, you know, this would be living in another world because uh, the politically, uh, because the Cadillac tax was passed, uh, one has to deal with the Cadillac tax in some way or another. But if we could just erase history Mm -hmm. uh, in this regard and start all over again, then uh, I would think that uh, what we don't want to do is uh, rush immediately to some seemingly ideal solution. There are a lot of conservative economists who, for example, would support moving uh, directly to a uh, refundable tax credit for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and while refundable tax credits are, are, are really wonderful ideas, these are this is something that uh, uh, provides a subsidy to uh, uh, low-income people uh, on the health insurance exchanges, for example. Nonetheless, the idea of moving immediately from a situation where we have an unlimited uh, tax exclusion, which promotes employer-sponsored coverage, to no tax exclusion at all, and instead, a, in essence, a lump sum payment, mm-hmm. which is neutral to where you buy, that's, that's too much of a shock to the system. Yeah, the word you hear uh, is disruptive. Yes. It, right. It could be very disruptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even though I'm... I, th- I think we can be confident that uh, at least large employers would continue to offer health insurance coverage. There's, there is concern in the business community, and I'm sure there there is concern. There would be concern among workers who are paying attention to this issue uh, if we move too quickly to some ultimate solution. So instead, why not put a limit? Uh, on the amount that can be excluded. So instead of being able to, in essence, exclude any amount, uh, you know, if you buy a $30,000 policy, you're not paying taxes on any of the $30,000 that you're, that you're putting in there. Mm-hmm. Um, why not, why not put some sort of a limit and a high limit? Uh, you know, uh, let's not move down to, to $10,000 right away for, for a family policy. Why not start at 30000 or 25000 And what that would do is that would, that would solve certain problems. First of all, for, uh, it would, it would provide a, an incentive for employers to pair back the generosity of their coverage to get below that, le- that whatever that level is. Mm-hmm. There'd be a lot of pressure f- for employers to do that, and insurance companies would tailor their plans to get just under that limit. So it's, uh, it, that's not going to be the hard part. Furthermore, if the limit is, starts off quite high, then we're not going to see very many people see any substantial change in the way their health insurance uh, benefits operate. And that's very important in terms of phasing in a policy like this. Over time, you could see gradually uh, lowering uh, the cap on the exclusion. Some people would say lower it to zero and go go all the way to a, uh, a refundable tax credit. That's a debate for another time, but certainly we could lower this over time gradually. That gives the system and people and employers a chance to adjust, uh, and it provides 
uh, steady but not severe pressure on the health system to do a better job of providing services in a more efficient way. Okay, you mentioned, um, so the, the phasing in is your overall point. I'll mention that uh, the Republican candidate, uh, Donald Trump, actually calls for capping the exclusion. And so I bring in politics, of course, since we are in D.C. And however, uh, Secretary Clinton does not address uh, this issue so far, at least in her policy papers, uh, largely because, of course, uh, there's strong support for maintaining this policy amongst um, the unions. They're, they stand uh, squarely opposed. Just as an aside note, I hadn't thought of this when I prepared for our discussion, but there is a cap that comes to mind in healthcare, and that's for hospice care. Um, annually, hospice providers on a per patient basis can only receive X dollars in reimbursement. Uh, monies they receive in reimbursement above that cap, they owe back to the Medicare program. So uh, this would not be unheard of, at least. So let me go to the politics specifically. Uh, let's assume that uh, next year we're under a Clinton administration. Um, what do you think politically is possible when you factor in the politics of this? So, David, as you mentioned at the start, the Cadillac tax start date uh, was pushed off a couple of years. I think it's also significant that in the Affordable Care Act itself, the Cadillac tax uh, was not going to be imposed uh, right away. It was going to be held off for, for about five years. So I think what that strongly suggests is that the Democrats in particular were, were feeling some pressure from uh, unions who uh, clearly uh, would would be against uh, any kind of a tax like this? They would also be they would also be against uh, any limitation whatsoever on the tax exclusion as well. So I mean, it's, it's, I think they would they would cover the waterfront that way. But the unions are very strong against this, and so they've been they've been very effective. And and, and businesses also don't like this. Uh, they, they I think I think. Both unions and labor recognize, I mean unions and business, recognize that this tax does some things that, that not only they don't want, but nobody wants. It's an inefficient way to uh, try to accomplish something that I'm sure they believe could be accomplished in other ways other than changing the way they, they handle their employee benefits. Um, Secretary Clinton, on the other hand, is is probably going to be the uh, only president in history, if she is elected, who is a true expert in health policy, mm-hmm. and she is very familiar with this problem. Uh, I'm confident that uh, she agrees with really most analysts, uh, whether they're on the left or on the right, that uh, the Cadillac tax doesn't work very well, and that the tax exclusion, uh, the uncapped tax exclusion, as uh, 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 we've basically gone to the point where we need to make some changes. Um, that delay, you know, practical politics uh, now enter, and so I think. Uh, it's going to be difficult to make any changes other than to, to delay the onset of the Cadillac tax. I think politically it's very difficult to, in essence, for a President Clinton or a Republican president to say, okay, well, we're going to get rid of this tax, and in this place we're going to do something that to most people will seem like a tax because it will be a reduction in a tax benefit. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's easy politically to get rid of a tax. It's really hard to put one on. Yeah, this will and, be termed the tax increase, right? Yes. Right. It'll be. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I, I think I think it'll be a draw, and I think that uh, a President uh, Clinton will have no choice but to. Uh, delay the uh, Cadillac tax for a few more years and, um, uh, you know, hope for lightning to strike that either uh, makes it possible to simply eliminate that tax with an economy that's doing so well that we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, getting more revenue or possibly, uh, uh, you know, losing an election and having the next president stuck with the problem. In a sense, the Cadillac tax was a remarkable accomplishment politically. Uh, it was uh, buried inside of a massive uh, expansion of subsidies and massive expansion of insurance coverage. And we're not going to have that again. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, this will be a uh, what, could, what you could call a a naked policy that you'd have to look at, uh, and there would be nothing around it to conceal uh, the difficult problems that let, this causes for politicians. Let, let, let me throw in one more variable, despite we'll go over a little bit on, on time, but I'm having actually too much fun with this. So you said naked <laughs> policy. So let's throw in another variable. So the House Republicans want to do tax reform. And I already mentioned Trump has this on his agenda, or it's on some Republicans' agenda, which is to say the House Republicans are receptive to addressing the tax exclusion. So if this was a component to larger tax reform, so Kevin Brady and others are talking about this, and the other variable here is if you cause this tax increase de facto, meaning we cap or phase out the exclusion, that scores savings. So would it not be viewed by the Democrats as a mixed bag in that, yes, uh, maybe we'll have fewer generous plans, even though you could argue that they don't stand of value in and of themselves, but this scores savings. Some of those savings could possibly be used to improve the Medicare program in other ways, you know, the donut hole, long-term care policies, you know, you name it. So in context, again, of uh, larger tax reform, and what could possibly be done to improve Medicare otherwise with the scored savings from phasing or capping the exclusion? Do you think this becomes more doable? You know, you're making a good point uh, that uh, you get some savings, so maybe you can spend it somewhere. Um, and the Congress likes to do that. Well, politicians like to do that. I'm not so sure that, that uh, a fiscal conservative would think that uh, considering considering the problem we have with federal health spending in general, the growth mm-hmm. of federal health spending is is much more rapid than uh, uh, any other major program area in, right. in the federal budget. Uh, I'm not so sure that 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 would be welcomed by at least the conservatives in either party. Um, uh, but your, your your point is, I think, correct that if. Uh, anything is going to be done to deal with the Cadillac tax and to deal with the tax exclusion. There's going to have to be some give back that the average middle class voter will say, yes, I want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough to know exactly what that is. Uh, you know, your idea about improving uh, Medicare, the donut hole, for example. I think well, it, it's got to be something that people feel is a problem now. And I think a lot of people don't don't know 
the issues that that they may be facing in the Medicare program or or elsewhere. So I think this is going to be a really tough policy to construct, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. Right, and nobody likes farmer prices. So in any event, Joe, we're at our boundary. Uh, very genuinely appreciate your time and in, in, in this brief discussion of a very weighty substantive issue. So thank you again. Thank you, David. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.